Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Today I want to pick up on Resurrection Sunday. You know, we've been kind of going through the different weeks uh, uh, leading up to the cross, the different, every week, been going through the narrative. Because I, I want you to, to be able to follow the narrative leading up to the cross. It's one continuous story. You know, so, so we've been talking about, you know, uh, Zacchaeus and Jericho and, and blind Bartimaeus and, and Lazarus being raised from the dead. All of these, I've kind of preached in sequence as they happened, almost to the week that they happened. You know, in the triumphal entry, when Jesus came into Jerusalem, but Jerusalem did not recognize who he truly is. They missed it. And then the crucifixion and resurrection last week, and we celebrated the fact that as the disciples looked into the tomb, it was empty. And I've been to the tomb of Jesus, both of them. And you don't know, there's supposedly two. So I checked both, and both of them are empty. So just in case, I'm not sure which one it is, but I know he's not in either one of them, so I'm good. Because I don't, I don't really care about where it was. I care about who it was and what he did that he rose from the grave. And that's amazing, you know, and that, that's, that's the cornerstone of our faith. And, and today I want to talk to you kind of about after the great moment happened, what happened. After or, or, or even during this great moment of resurrection, what's happening to the people around Jesus? Because the resurrection is the greatest moment in the history of mankind. And so what happened on that day? And, and we find that Jesus, he comes so personally in the middle of all this. Because the truth is the resurrection is for regular people. I want to go to the book of, of Luke. And I want to read uh, just the end of this, um, of this gospel. And, and this is on Resurrection Sunday. And... The Bible tells us that there were, there's a story of two people that are on the road and they're about to encounter Jesus. And this is in the afternoon. And, and on that very day, on Easter Sunday, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. Now, I, I, uh, I tried to get you footage of the road to Emmaus and footage of, of this place, but I couldn't because nobody knows where it is. Right? Nobody has any clue. This was a tiny little village somewhere near Jerusalem that's just been lost in time. Nobody knows where the road is. Nobody knows where the village is. And you know what's interesting about this? Nobody knows who these people are. They tell us one's name is Cleopas, and the other person, they don't even say who it is. And you've never heard of Cleopas. There's no Saint Cleopas, Church Cleopas, Bishop Cleopas. We don't know who it was. They pop up real quick on the most important day of the whole world. Jesus appears to them, and then that's it, you know? And, and what I love about it is like, in, during the greatest moment that mankind's ever seen, Jesus goes to a bunch of nobodies walking in the middle of nowhere. You know, he goes to us. We're a bunch of nobodies walking nowhere. Jesus says, that's my people. Let me, let me get around you. I, I say this because you think Jesus' resurrection is just reserved for the great moments and the great people. You would think he would show up before Caesar Augustus and say, I'm back, baby. Get out of my chair. But he doesn't. He doesn't because... His kingdom is not of this world. He came for people like us. And so he goes to these people just walking on the road, and, and they were talking with each other about all the things that have, have happened, the crucifixion and, and the fact that the tomb was empty and that the woman saw it and, and Simon Peter saw it, and they were absolutely confused. This was the day of. They have no idea what's happening. 
And they're trying to figure it out. And they say, you know what? Let's get out of the city. Let's go home until this whole thing kind of blows over. And while they were walking along and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near to them. Jesus shows up. You know, on Resurrection Sunday, Jesus shows up to some people that have questions. If you have questions about Jesus, that doesn't put you further away from him. It's almost the invitation for him to show up. If you don't understand it all, that doesn't mean Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. Jesus comes to you and says, let me help you discover who I am. And he shows up amongst them and and the Bible says Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. They were in his presence, yet they didn't recognize him. It's amazing how many times we miss what Jesus is doing right in the middle of our midst because we don't fully understand it. And and I'm going to read to the end of the story, but it's amazing how many times we'll go through a whole journey of life or a whole experience, and only when we get to the end do we realize, oh, that's what God was doing. I just want to speak to you right now. If you're in the middle of a confusing place where you don't understand fully what's happening or where God is in uh, in the process, I, I just have to tell you this. He is drawing near to you. He is walking with you. And just because you don't fully recognize what he's doing or how he's doing it doesn't mean he's not working with you, beside you, through you. And in the end, you're going to be able to look back and say, he was with me all along. He was with me all along. He never leaves. He never forsakes. He's never distant or far. He walks through dark valleys and mountaintops with you because it's who he is. It's who he is. And And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? What are you guys talking about? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, saying, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? Are you the only person that doesn't know what's going on here? You know, it's ironic. He was the only person who did know what was going on. You know, they didn't know. They're saying, like, why is the tomb empty? What's going on here? I thought he was supposed to be a savior. I don't get it. And then Jesus shows up, and they're like, you, you just, you don't understand what's happening here. And Jesus is like, you don't understand what's happening here. I just, I, <laughs> oh, man, I think it's funny sometimes that we treat God like he doesn't get what we're going through. God, hello, I'm right here. I'm, I prayed about this thing. We talked about it. I fasted McDonald's, most of it. I fasted most of it. My kids had fries. I cheated a little bit on lunch. But, but God... Come on, have you ever been there where, where you're, you're trying to tell God, you know, about, about what he doesn't get about your situation, whereas God's saying, why don't you chill? Why don't you be quiet? Let me help you through your situation because you don't even understand where you are, how you got here, or what's even really going on. Your brain is finite. He is infinite. He knows all, and he can help. He can help. They're saying, you, you don't know what's going on. You must be the only person in Jerusalem. Now, 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 what they're saying is there's uh, hundreds of thousands of people. This is during Passover. So the, 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 the um, commentaries would say Jerusalem, though it was a, a small city, still is to this day. Uh, during Passover, it swells to hundreds of thousands. Some even say millions of people would be in Jerusalem at Passover. Millions of people know what's going on. My wife and I, we were there this past week on Passover. And let me tell you, we just thought we were going to go to the old city and buy a scarf. When we showed up, There were millions and millions of people. 
and they were there for the ironic benediction. May God keep you and bless your household at the Western Wall. We thought we were just going to show up as tourists, put the hat on, go pray, put our little piece of paper. There were millions of people that were headed in our direction. And that's what they're saying. It's like, do you not get what's going on? Everybody knows what's happening here. You're out of the loop. And Jesus, I think he's so cool. He just plays along. He plays along. He said, you don't know what happened here? And he says, you, all these things? And so Jesus says, what things? <laughs> it's funny, because they don't recognize him, and he doesn't say, like, hey, don't, don't worry, I'm Jesus. Let me. He just kind of lets them. <laughs> I don't know why it's so funny to me, but it's almost like Jesus is fooling around with them. Tell me, what things? What's going on? Tell me from your perspective. Let me just say this. I want you to know you do serve a God that listens. Even though he knows, he listens. He's not trying to shut you up too quick. He's not trying to say, shh, shh, shh you don't know what you're talking about. Let me tell you something. He, he says, tell me from your perspective. Let me hear what you're going through. What have you seen? What, what, do you, what do you not understand? It's amazing when Jesus came to even heal people. He says, do you want to be made well? You would think, of course they want to be made well, but Jesus wants to hear it from their perspective. Are you sure you want to be made well? Why? Because faith has to come from within you towards God. God won't give you faith for you. He says, do you have faith? Why don't you tell me where you're at? And we'll walk through these things together. And they began to tell Jesus. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and, and how our chief priests and rulers, they delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Here they're saying we, we had a hope and it seems to not be turning out the way that we hoped. Have you ever been in a place in your life where God doesn't show up the way you hoped he would show up? He doesn't show up in the timing. He doesn't show up in the action the way that you hoped. You know God, you love God, and you hope he's going to redeem Israel. Here's the interesting thing. He did redeem Israel, just not in the way they thought he was going to redeem Israel. Because, see, he wasn't just going to redeem Israel. He was going to redeem the whole world. See, thank God he didn't just redeem Israel because you and I would be left unredeemed. But Jesus came to redeem them and us, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. He is our redemption, too. I thank God he came in a way different than people hoped because they were hoping for them. And that didn't include me. And so they, they were hoping just for themselves, and there's no problem with that, but Jesus says, I'm going to come in a greater way because I'm going to include more than just you. I'm going to include all those around you. And he brings us into the family. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you come in a way that I, I, I didn't hope. Some of you have been hoping. Some of you have hoped for God to help you marry that one guy. Ten years later, you say, thank God you didn't come in the way that I hoped. <laughs> yes, besides, and all this, it's now three days since this happened. And their, and their reading of the scriptures by the third day, um, that uh, your soul would have left your body and, and resurrection wasn't possible. So they're saying on top of that, it's been three days. So we know our all hope is gone and, 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 but then they begin to say, but moreover, some women from our company, they were in the tomb early in the morning and they didn't find the body. And they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. 
And, and some of those that were with us, and we know who those were, it was John and Peter, they went to the tomb and they found it just as the woman had said, that, 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 that they didn't see him, that there was no body there. When you read the book of John, John says, Peter and I ran to the tomb, but I, I outran Peter. So, <laughs> And he said to them, oh, foolish ones, you guys are stupid, and slow of heart. <laughs> you think Jesus is going to be real kind? He's like, I'm, do you guys not get this yet? Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, this isn't new. I've been doing this since the beginning of time. I've been a part of this for thousands of years. Pay attention. Read scripture. This has all been a part of God's plan leading up to this moment of God's redemption. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? He was saying, he was saying, didn't you read all the prophecies that, that the, the, the Messiah would have to suffer some things before he could enter into his glory? And, and think about this. He asks them a question because why? He doesn't want to just give them the answer. He wants to get them to begin to think. Some people say, you know, Christianity is the, the opium of the masses where they just want to tell you, not Jesus. All he did was ask questions. He's saying, engage your own faith. Figure out your own God. Make it real on your own. Jesus will always ask questions of you because he doesn't want drones. He doesn't want clones. He wants active, real, vibrant relationship with his followers. He wants for you to think and to feel. He wants for you to experience. When he meets Saul, who becomes Paul, he knocks him off his horse and says, why are you persecuting me? That's the kind of experience God wants for you to have where it is a impact with the Almighty, and he begins to question your past and your motives. What are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, I'm not persecuting you. And Jesus says, they are of me. When you persecute them, you persecute me also. And that one encounter in question changed Paul's life. And almost all of this part of the Bible we have from that one question. Why are you persecuting me? You got to understand, God wants for you to begin to engage not just your faith, but your intellect as well. Who is Jesus? What did he come to do? What did he say about himself? What did he say to me, about me? What promises are there for me? Because if Jesus has promises for me, I don't want to just live my life anyway. I want to live my life in his way. The first Christians weren't called Christians. They were called followers of the way. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And here's an interesting thing about the way. You can't walk it blindly. In order to follow Jesus, you have to have your eyes open, step by step, following his path and the person of who he is. In the beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all of Scripture the things concerning himself. The whole Old Testament is all about Jesus. So as they drew near to the village to which they were going, he acted as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us. I love that Jesus acts as if he's going to keep going. And they, no, 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 come, come and stay with us at our house, you know? This is like such a human moment from Jesus. He's going to keep going unless you ask for him to stay. Have you ever done that? You meet some people at the mall, and they're like, all right, all right, see you later. And they're like, no, no, come, come eat with us. And you're like, oh, thank God. You paying? You paying? That's what Jesus is doing. He, he's going to let them invite him in. And that's important. That's so important. And they urged him strongly saying, stay with us because it's towards evening and the day is far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread 
and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. See, that's the goal of walking with Jesus, that you might recognize him. I know what he looks like. I know what he sounds like. The Bible says, my sheep, they hear my voice and they recognize it. I know what God sounds like. I know when he speaks to me. They recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose at that same hour and they returned to Jerusalem. This is 14 miles now. It's half a marathon. And they found the 11 and those who were with them. And they gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and he's appeared to Simon Peter. And when they told what had happened on the road, They told them all what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. It's when he broke the bread that they recognized the bread. Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When he broke the bread, they recognized the true bread. He says, I am the manna that's come down from heaven, come to sustain your life. When he broke the bread, they recognized the true bread. This isn't just about communion. This is about the very nature of God is that when you begin to get in fellowship with him and in relationship with him, you begin to recognize him in everyday circumstances. They weren't in an incredible chapel. They weren't beside the tomb. They weren't on a hilltop. They were just at their house. And all of a sudden they said, that's Jesus. I recognize who he is. I want you to know this. Jesus wants to come to you that you might recognize him in the every day of your life. He's with you. He's for you. He wants to have a relationship with you. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for who you are. And we thank you so much, God, for what you've been speaking to us today. And we give you these next few moments to speak just a little bit more to us. God, I pray today we recognize you with fresh eyes. Today, God, our heart leaps as it hears your word today, God, change us. In Jesus' name, everyone said. Amen. Amen. One more verse I want to read to you. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. In other words, Jesus was there at the beginning. He's there at the most important moment of history, and he will be there at the end. This is why it can be said of Jesus, he was and is and is to come. The whole Bible is about Jesus. It's all about him. And and I love that Jesus takes this moment, which is the greatest moment mankind has ever seen, and he makes it personal for a couple of people that they're never mentioned before or after this moment in Scripture. It's almost as if God takes the resurrection and says, now now put yourself right in that equation. In fact, they only tell us one of the disciples' name. The other they leave unnamed because that's you. You're walking with Jesus in the day of resurrection. And, And this is what he's doing to some of these first disciples he's appearing to on this greatest moment. He appears to them just by the side of the road. It's amazing. He appears to his disciples in the garden and and, in the upper room and lakeside and a hilltop. But today, he's appearing to them on a journey. And today, I want to invite you to take this walk with Jesus, that you would invite him into your home, that you would allow Jesus to reveal himself to you along the way. I, I think salvation absolutely comes in one moment, but revelation comes in a journey. 
Salvation comes in a split second. When that, when that stone rolled away, that was salvation for mankind. It is over. It is done. New life has come. But then the first thing he does is take a journey with some disciples. He says, let me walk with you for a couple miles. Let me come into your home. Let me, let me sit and eat with you. Let me open up the scriptures along the way. Because here's the reality. Christianity is not just a moment. It's a movement. It's not just an instant. It's a journey. And, and following Jesus is a journey. And if you will allow him, he's going to reveal himself more and more and more to you on the journey. I, I got to tell you, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not up here preaching as if I've, I've, I've been there, I've done that, I've studied Jesus, I've got all the revelation, and let me just, let me just tell you a little something. I'm on the journey as well. And I love it that two weeks ago or three weeks ago, I'll realize something, and I'll be able to bring it to you, and you're going to realize something and bring it to me. It's this living, active process called relationship. This is what God wanted for humanity, and it's amazing that the first thing he does after the resurrection is take a walk with someone. Why? Because he's restoring what we lost in the garden. Bible says when after Adam and Eve sinned, they hid themselves from God, and they clothed themselves in man-made uh, in man-made clothing, but Jesus promises what? To clothe you in righteousness. They, they clothe themselves in, in shame, but Jesus says, I'm going to exchange the clothes. And the Bible says that when they were hiding, God walked into the garden and began to call out their name because he walked with them every day in the garden. But after sin, they were banished, not just from the garden, but from the presence of God. They, they were banished from the relationship, from the daily walks with God. And so here, after Jesus is resurrected in a garden, what's the first thing he goes to do? Restore the walk. He's been waiting thousands of years to walk with us again. Amazing that God's original plan was Eden, so therefore he's going to restore Eden to us, that we can have an active, real friendship with, with God. Right away, he begins to restore the garden. And, and they, they, they have this journey together, and, and in this journey, there's a process of Jesus revealing who he is along, along the way. And, and, and we see first and foremost that they're confused, they're frustrated, they're sad. Isn't it amazing that on the very first Resurrection Sunday, disciples were downcast and sad and frustrated? Every single one, we have the luxury of celebrating because we know the story, but they didn't know. They were in the middle of it. And they were saying, something's going on, and we don't know what it is. And we're frustrated because what we hoped for didn't happen the way we hoped for it. And what I love is that Jesus walks right into the middle of that moment. And, and, and even though they're frustrated and confused, God doesn't shy away from it and say, I'll go to the people that really believe. He walks to the people that are confused and walks them into belief. I tell you, that's hope for you and me. That's hope for you and me. It's amazing. And, and then they begin to tell God, you know, what happened in their life, which is so funny. And, 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 and God begins to say, okay, well, let me show you what's really going on. Because sometimes our perception is not full, but God's perception is complete. And sometimes he'll show you the same, the same event from a different way, and you'll, get, you'll have a, a change about it. I don't have time to get into this preaching, but I'm just telling you, every single situation, God can show you another aspect of it. And there's sometimes where things will happen that I feel like, oh, this is negative. But I'll always try and remind myself and even pray, God, show me what you're trying to do in here. Because I don't get it because I'm foolish, but you do get it 
because you're wise. Show me what you're trying to do in here because there's not one situation where he's not acting and active within it. He'll show it if you will ask and if you'll listen. And he walks right up to them and he, he begins to reveal to them what really is going on on this Resurrection Sunday. Through the journey, he opens the scriptures to them and he begins to reveal out of the scriptures that he was the Messiah, that he had to go through what the prophets had prophesied the Messiah has to go through, and that the whole book is about him. The whole book is about him. And he brings them backwards so that they can understand this present situation. Look, look at this verse in, in, um, in Hebrews. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow. It was a dim preview. It was almost like if you're trying to take a picture, but the lens is still blurry. It's just a shadow. You can see something, but you don't quite know what it is. That's, that's the old system. That's the law. Uh, it was just a, a preview of the good thing that is to come. It wasn't the good thing itself. But the sacrifices under that system, they were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. But under the new covenant, Jesus had one sacrifice. It was totally sufficient. When it was over, it was complete. And now we don't have to sacrifice ourselves. He is the sacrifice. It is enough. He is perfect. And we worship from that sacrifice, not for that sacrifice. It's not our good works. It's his finished work on the cross. He declares, it is finished. I agree. We're cleansed. We move from that moment. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have already done. For what you've already done. Now, let me show you this. In Colossians, it says, these, speaking of these old things, they're just a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Jesus is the reality that you've been searching for. If I went to a beautiful location and I took a picture and I showed you of this stunning lake, you would say, man, that, that's beautiful, but it's nowhere near as beautiful as going to the actual place. And, and the Old Testament's just a picture, and you might say, okay, I, I get it, but no, you don't get it. You gotta go to the real place. You're gonna have to have the real experience. The reality is Jesus Christ. The Old Testament is really like a, a mosaic, individual tiles, but together, if you back up far enough, it paints a complete picture and, and tells a narrative. When we were touring all over Israel, we went to all these old uh, ancient cathedrals and synagogues, and, and all these places, their floors were always mosaics. And we went to the church in Bethlehem uh, where Jesus was born, and this is an ancient church. It's, it's well over, it's over 1,600 years old, but it's been built and rebuilt and destroyed and rebuilt so many times, they don't even know all of the different elements of it. Well, in the 1900s, there was a terrible earthquake that damaged some of the church and damaged the floor. And when they pulled up an aspect of the floor, they saw a glint of something bright underneath. And so they pulled up the rest of the floor and they found that there was a beautiful, original mosaic flooring two feet underneath the marble flooring that the Crusaders put there in the 1100s. There was an ancient flooring uh, that told the story of Jesus and the birth of Jesus in the place where it supposedly happened. And so they were able to take up the old floor and restore this beautiful mosaic. They painted it one tile at a time in protection coating. And when you're there now, you're able to pull back these giant um, uh, wood coverings that they have and look down into this ancient, stunning mosaic 
that tells the narrative of Jesus' birth. See, this is what Jesus is saying happened when the cross happened. It was a cataclysmic event. It shook the earth. And then on this side of it, Jesus says, now, look backwards. Look at the Old Testament from this defining moment. Because you can't just look at each individual tile and say, what's God trying to do in Lamentations? You have to come to Jesus. And you have to look backwards and say, all of this was trying to show me Jesus. It was all a picture. It was all leading up to Jesus. The prophecies are about Jesus. The moments are about Jesus. The miracles are about Jesus. See, it's Jesus that brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, slavery, through the waters of baptism, death, and into the promised land, brand new life. It was a picture of Jesus. Jesus was the manna from heaven that came down that was bread for life in the wilderness. It was Jesus that was the rock that when struck by the, by the law and struck by death, still brought forth brand new waters for life for all of the people. When you read the Old Testament, you got to look for Jesus. See, it was Jesus that was, uh, that was really, Isaac was really just a picture of Jesus. When Isaac took his own wood for his own altar and walked up Mount Moriah, which is the mountain that Jesus was crucified on. When Isaac built his own altar, he allowed his own hands to be bound. He climbed up onto the altar and allowed his father Abraham to raise the sword over his own throat. The Bible says Abraham did all of this because he believed that even if he killed his son, God would resurrect him from the dead. But the Bible says the angel stayed the hand of, 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 of Abraham. And actually, this, this angel is a Christophany. It's the messenger of God that we believe is a picture of Jesus before he came in human flesh. In other words, Jesus was there for the sacrifice of Isaac, but he took the place of Isaac. And he held Abraham's hand and said, do not kill the boy. The Lord himself will provide a better sacrifice. And for thousands of years, the people of Israel would look to Mount Moriah in Jerusalem and say, it is there that the sacrifice will be provided. And when Jesus, when he was lifted up on the cross, he was the sacrifice. And he says, it has been provided. The Old Testament's about Jesus. See, when David fought down Goliath, it wasn't just a random giant. It was the giant of sin that would come out every day and would taunt the people of Israel because no one had the strength to overcome him. But when David showed up, he says, is there not a cause? And he grabs his five smooth stones and it crashes into the head of Goliath. It was David that conquered Goliath, but really it's a picture of Jesus conquering the Goliath of sin and destruction and mockery that have been standing up in your life. It's Jesus. And Jesus isn't just David, he's the stone that goes out from David. The Bible says that Jesus is of the lineage of David. He, and Jesus himself said the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And the stone crashed into the head of sin and brought it beneath you because sin used to reign over you. But now the Bible says it is underneath your feet. It's Jesus. Esther is just a picture of Jesus when she says, I, in order to save my people, I will give up my palace. And she says, and if I die, I die. And she rescues her whole nation. And Jesus came the same and said the same thing. Not my will be done, Lord, but yours be done. And when Esther didn't have to give her life, Jesus did so that the whole nation and all nations would be cleansed. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus.
There's over 300 prophecies, 50 of them extremely specific from all the Old Testament prophets. Isaiah prophesied that the, that the Messiah would have a virgin birth. Micah prophesied that he would come from Bethlehem. Isaiah said that he would have ministry in Galilee, that he would accept all nations, that he would perform great signs and miracles. Daniel said that he would end sin. Zechariah said that he would enter Jerusalem lowly, humble, riding on a donkey. Zechariah said that he would be betrayed by 30 pieces of silver and sold into slavery. The psalmist said that he would not die, that, God, that he would live and not die, that he would not abandon his soul to Hades, that God would not let his flesh fall into decay. And Jeremiah declared that he comes to bring a new covenant between God's people, no longer law, but now grace. Jesus, 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 Jesus. It's all Jesus. So as they're walking, Jesus reveals it was me. All the way along, it was me. Now listen, if you'll be in relationship with Jesus, he's going to reveal himself through the word of God. That's why you've got to read the word of God. It's amazing how easy it is to watch Netflix for 19 hours, and it says, are you still watching? And you say, of course, I'm still watching. <laughs> it's amazing. YouTube will give you a little prompt. Are you still, you want to take a break from YouTube? Absolutely not. I don't want to take a break from YouTube. It's amazing how much we can concentrate on anything that doesn't matter, but the word of God, it's so difficult to read a verse, a chapter, is because those things aren't powerful, and this thing is. That when you begin to read this, you begin to see Jesus in every page. You begin to see him in every miracle. He begins to reveal a whole new side of himself, and it begins to awaken something deep within your heart, and your faith gets on fire again, and your life begins to be changed again. So many people are searching for a fresh revelation of God. They're going to gurus, and they're listening to podcasts, and they say, I just need to see Jesus a new way, so I got to go camping. I got to go reconnect with nature. I got to go to a conference, or I certainly got to go to that concert. They don't understand. It's not those things that give you a fresh revelation of Jesus. It's the word of God that gives you a fresh revelation of Jesus. He will show you who he is right here. You don't need those other people. You don't need those other things. Jesus even says, beware when they say, look, he's out there in the desert. There he is in London. There he is in Pittsburgh with the new revelation. He said, I've given you the revelation. And when you begin to read it, it begins to read you and your life begins to be changed completely and totally. And, and, and the Bible says that something began to stir in their heart, that they began to realize new things about Scripture. And when Jesus said, all right, I'm going to keep walking, they said, no, please come into our home. Please come into our dwelling place. Come into where we live. Because here's the reality is when you walk with Jesus, eventually you have the choice, will you bring him into the personal places of your life? Here's the scary thing, that you can walk with Jesus, you could be around Jesus, but still keep him out of your personal life. You could walk near him, but still have your own life on the side, your own home on the side. I'll walk with him on Wednesday night, I'll be around crew, I'll be there on Sunday, but I got this other thing as well. And here's the craziest thing is that Jesus won't force his way into your home. He won't force his way into your personal stuff. Jesus is a gentleman. He says, if you want me to keep walking, I'll keep walking. But the Bible says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and they recognize it, I'll come right in. Come right in. You want peace in your home? You need Jesus. You want joy in your home? You need Jesus. You want your marriage to have fulfillment. I'm telling you, you need Jesus. You don't need more scents and candles and low-key music and books and certain 
blessings. You need Jesus. And Jesus says, I'll, I'll come right in, but you have to invite me. You have to invite me. You have to want me to come into your whole home. And when you walk into that home, you can't say, but only this, only the foyer, Lord. Only the dining room. But you can't come into the closet. You can't come into the bedroom. You can't look over here. Jesus says, I'll come in. But when I come in, I become the master of the home. Because see, later on, we see he grabs the bread and breaks it. The master of the home breaks the bread. He doesn't just come in as a guest. He says, if I come in, I'm taking over. And man, you lived in your home for a long time. You need him to take over. I've been waiting for someone to come in here and help me figure this thing out because my finances are messed up, my relationships are messed up, my kids are messed up, and it is my fault. It's all messed up. You need someone with wisdom. You need someone with peace. You need someone with revelation to come in and begin to put your house in order, to partner with you in this. But he will not force himself in. Here's the beauty of, of, of Jesus is that the, at the beginning in creation, he gave Adam and Eve free will. You can eat if you want to eat. And here it is, right after the resurrection, Jesus says, I'll keep going if you want me to keep going. Or I'll stay with you if you invite me in. He's given you a free will. You can't blame anyone else for your actions. You can't say, well, it's because of this or that. No, Jesus is waiting at the door. It says, I'll come in. I'll change everything. But do you want me here? Do you want me in? If you do, I want to come in but I will not impose myself. Here, here's the reality. Jesus wants real followers. He doesn't want fakes and frauds. He doesn't want to force you into a fake religion where you got to come in on Sunday, you got to wear a tie, you got to smile, you got to pretend. Meanwhile, your home is absolutely messed up. That's not Jesus. That's false religion. Religion leads only to death. Jesus, brand new life. He doesn't want you to walk in here all fake every Sunday. He wants you to come in here, be real and I'll bring revelation, I'll bring freedom, I'll bring hope, I'll bring restoration, I'll bring renewal, I'll bring change, but you be you. Bring your worst, I'll give you my best. That's Jesus. That's what he desires of you. You be you, and I'll be me. And together, there's gonna be change that comes not only to your life, but to your whole home and your whole journey. When Joshua was about to bring people into the promised land he says this to all of the people before we go in he says now it's time to make your own choice if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you then choose for yourselves this day whom you're going to serve because you got to understand making making Jesus your Lord and Savior it's a choice following Jesus it's a choice and he says this make your choice who you're going to serve whether the gods of your ancestors ancestors that you serve beyond the Euphrates. He's talking about the ancient gods. And if, if you don't, I don't want to get too much into this, but you got to understand the new age, there's nothing new about it. It's Eastern mysticism. It comes from the Babylonian times. It's the ancient gods beyond the Euphrates. It's spirits and mantras and, and, and things and worshiping different strange deities. He, and, and what Joshua is saying is, I'm not going to stop you. If you want to get into all that weird stuff and you want to join a lot of weird, strange, flat earth societies, you go ahead. You want to become obsessed with all that stuff, and you're up late at night, you're watching those YouTube, you're getting all weird. Serve who you're going to serve. You believe in the power of crystals, you need some weird DMT experience, do what you're going to do. And he says, he goes on, and, and more than that, if, you're, if, if you want to serve the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living, 
Who's he talking about? He's talking about culture. You want to serve those ancient mystics? Or if you want to serve the God of the people that's around you, you want to live how they live and take on their customs and do what they do. Look like them, act like them, believe like them. You can go ahead and do it, and I'm not going to stop you. Here's the scary thing is, is you have to make the choice whom you're going to serve. And the scary thing to me is a lot of Christians follow Jesus in name, but worship culture in action. They love culture, and they listen to culture, and they worship the culture. They know every single lyric for culture's, culture's worship, and, and they watch culture, and they, 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 they put culture on, and they're following culture, and they're looking for culture's approval and likes, and, it's, and we speak like culture, and we act like culture, we look like culture. Eventually, let me tell you, you might say you follow Jesus, but everything about your worship and action is culture. And I'm not saying you have to do crazy stuff and like throw your TV out your window. What I'm saying though is you got to be honest about who you're worshiping because your God is the one that blesses you. And one thing I know about culture, it will only drain you. It will never, ever bless you. Joshua makes this decision as for me and my household. I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me. I can't force you, but I can make my own decisions. I, I can't have everyone agreeing with me, but... But I can stand firm nonetheless, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I pray we have a church that makes a decision. As for us, we're going to serve God. As for us, we're going to give him our everything. And the Bible says that Jesus broke the bread, and in that moment, they recognized him. Here's when they, here's when they realized who Jesus was. This is how Jesus revealed himself, through scripture and through community through the word and through church. I tell you, it's so simple, but it's all right there. It's when they were sitting down at dinner. Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat together, remember what I did. And when he broke the bread, they remembered who he is. And they remembered what he did. And God revealed who he really was. And, and it was in friendship that they recognized God. Don't you think that's amazing? That God comes into their home and there's friendship and they say, this is God. This is Jesus. God wants to have friendship with you. And, and then they remembered, wasn't our heart burning within us when we were walking on the road? Have you ever agreed with someone so deeply it begins that like you feel it in here? Have you ever gotten around someone that when they talk about Jesus, you want to know that Jesus? That's what was happening as they were walking and living. They were saying something is real. Let me tell you, your heart will always resonate with truth. And your heart will always expose the falseness. You need to listen to the Holy Spirit deep within. Psalm says, my heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. I'm coming. Today I pray that you come before the Lord, that your heart begins to resonate with him again, that you begin to join him on this journey. You literally begin to take a walk with Jesus. You invite him into your home. You allow him to reveal himself to you and allow that to change you from the inside out. What was their reaction? They jumped up, they left the meal where it was, and they went back and began to tell everyone about the Jesus that they just met. When you meet Jesus, you can't help but evangelizing. You gotta tell everyone, everywhere, as soon as possible, about the Lord that you just met. Amen? Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you wanna learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.